And uh, hello, welcome to David and Goliath podcast. This is our third podcast, and it's uh, on the 10th of January 2016. Thank you uh, for listening. Thank you for listening to previous podcasts. And uh, well, I'm going to introduce Daniel Portelli here with me, Stefan Hagen, to talk about football in our critical football thinking way, which hopefully you've enjoyed so far. Hello, everyone. And again, thank you for listening. And we look forward to more listens for the third podcast. Okay, so um, let's uh, tell you what the run of the day is. So the run of the day is going to be, like last time, in terms of recent news to start off. Uh, and then uh, we're going to go to focus on a bit of a transfer update briefly, but really we're going to get into our main topic, uh, which is the FA Cup. Has it been devalued, etc.? Uh, as well as looking at some statistics that have come out about top Premier League players and so on, which maybe uh, will surprise you. Uh, yeah. yeah, nothing more to add to that. Let's get started. Okay, so our, our first brief news item, and I say brief because we've spoken about it before, is... Uh, Louis van Gaal. So, uh, I was listening to a podcast um, by uh, Robbie Savage and Fletch. can't remember his first name. Darren Fletcher. Darren. Like that, yeah. How, how is he famous from football, anyway? Darren Fletcher. Um, I don't no, know. It's but not the footballer, Fletcher. No, it's not the footballer, no. It's, no I'm not saying that people who weren't players... He's a presenter, he's a presenter, and I suppose you get a presenting gig and your career goes from there, same like Mark Chapman. He seems likeable enough, but I'd, yeah. I wouldn't have, if I was a talent scout, I wouldn't have necessarily picked him out personally. But I'm not saying you can't know about football if you didn't play, because obviously the first. Well, we're talking about Darren, <laughs> Darren Fletcher. That was unexpected first topic. <laughs> All right, let's, let's get back on to So anyway, on their podcast, they were talking about Van Howe. Robbie Savage was particularly damning in his assessment of Van Howe. And uh, basically, they said everything that we've said, including the callers that called in, which is it's still boring terribly boring they scraped through against Sheffield United in the FA Cup um, it, the players look bored according to Paul Scholes that's the latest report that's come out and uh, even ignoring all of the, like, those things are relevant but even ignoring those things we're in the January transfer window and the points that we've made before is that he spent a fortune the team are arguably worse and have more of a rebuilding task than when he came in and He's talking about potentially, although it's mixed reports, signing more players. Would you, as a chairman, trust him to spend the money from now on based on what he's done? Well, I remember him saying that he needed pace and power. Mm. If only he didn't have players like De Maria, Janazai, Welbeck and so on that offered that. He's a wasteful manager and being honest, if he, if he ran a shop, would you trust him as a manager? Absolutely not. Well... Uh, talk, Yanazai's been recalled from his loan because he wasn't getting games. Uh, I don't know if that proves whether he was right to ship him out or. or well, that they Van, Van Hal's already claiming credit for that by saying that he warned Yanazai they wouldn't get games. So why didn't he? Uh, why didn't he reject that offer and, and accept only offers from clubs where he'd be guaranteed more football? I don't have an answer to that. It's a symptom of mismanagement. Or why not give Yanazai games at Manchester United? Dare I say? Well, what's the point? He doesn't like pace. He doesn't like trickery. He said he wanted pace and trickery. <laughs> but, <laughs> but this is the thing, this, this is contradictory mismanagement at the highest level. It, I mean, it's my, an absolute joke. My thing with the Van Howe thing now is that it's almost too late. They need to make a decision now uh, just because if they don't want to write this season off, which... I mean, I think this season to some extent is written off, but if they want to start next season with momentum, then really the manager should have come in a few weeks ago to have a few weeks to assess the squad and make inquiries at clubs for players that he wants to sign. And I think it was a massive mistake employing two managers now without the so-called Man United style of football. Uh, I honestly think that 
in terms of to keep the supporter base high around the world, that the next manager has to be someone who plays attractive football. But that's why they've not got Mourinho in, to be fair. I think if they wanted Mourinho, they would have him. I think there's no doubt about that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he wouldn't come in if they did get rid of Van Gaal. But why have they not done it already? That's what I'm saying. Because I don't think they care about the style of football, actually. I think Van Gaal is going to stay. I don't think he's about to go. No, I agree. But I think part of that is because they want Guardiola. But it, why would why do they want Guardiola if they've just appointed two managers in a row that don't play great football? Well, Guardiola, it's arguable if he plays great football or not. That's that's a debate for another. Tiki tacky, but it's, it's better. But it's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Guardiola's at least shown that he can he can be tactically aware. He can mix things up and he can play an effective style tiki taka. The problem with Van Hal is that he's trying to do that, but he doesn't know how to. Well, the rumours and Guardiola will ring through youth as well. But that's that. I'll give him the youth thing for sure. The rumours about um, Guardiola and where he's going next suggest that he'll want big money spent wherever he goes, and they've already spent a lot of big money. I'm not sure. Why would you let Van Gaal spend big money again now, if if that is going to happen, to then get a new manager who's going to want to spend big money again because they're not likely to agree with the same players that are signed. That's a that's a wider football question. Why do people waste that kind of money? I almost think it doesn't matter now. It's, I mean, keeping it on Man United rather than wider football, though, it just seems like <clears throat> if they sacked him now, it would be a gamble. Well, David in the Boyd s- is available. <laughs> but if they if they got rid of him now, it would be a gamble in the sense that it's not enough time for a new guy in this window mm. to assess it. It really should have been a couple of weeks ago, and I don't understand why it wasn't. Even if the results weren't as terrible, there's no sign of youth coming through, really. I know he plays them in desperate circumstances. Yeah, I was going to say, the people disagree with that. I, I'm, I'm on your side there, Steph, but there's this thing that he does bring through youth, but I think a lot of that is misleading stats. Like, as you say, they'll play in desperate circumstances. There's no real bringing someone in and giving them a chance. It's like, oh, we've got three injuries to left back. We'll bring in, um, what's his name, the double-barreled name? Cameron Jackson or something. Or, I think it's Borstick. Yeah, or we'll bring, um, oh, we've got injuries to centre-backs. We'll bring through McNair. As soon as, as soon as everyone's fit, Rojo and that, McNair's not playing. I quite liked McNair when I've seen him, to be honest. Um, right, well, we, well want, we want to move on soon with yeah, this. We're going to move on with that because I'm going to say one of the reasons Van Hal's still staying is potentially agreement of gigs, which then links to our next topic. But some people will say, what are you on about? He won. And uh, this, is, it's, it's not, this isn't even really about yesterday. It's not about winning to an extent. It's well, the like... FA Cup is, is tough, um, whoever you play against. It, it's just another um, it's another boring performance 1-0. And we talked <laughs> about how we thought maybe they'd turned a corner on that front a few weeks ago. Um, I didn't think it would be a realistic long corner because you can't suddenly change under pressure your philosophy but it's more for me as a, if I was a United fan I'd, I'd just be bored senseless which may be okay if you're winning titles etc hence Chelsea get away with it with Mourinho but they're not they're, they're scraping forth and winning nothing and then what gets me is that when a Moyes does it or an Allardyce does it it's all you know British managers British style they can't do it at the highest level they're tactically unaware that kind of stuff it's boring when a Van Hout does it it's a philosophy I would argue that actually that he doesn't do it in the same way in the sense that it is boring, but it isn't long ball. It's but Moise, sideways. Moyes isn't necessarily long ball. I'll give you others. Really? Fellaini? Uh, who, who, who's who, who's yeah, more to Fellaini? him up front more. Who, who, Van Hal plays yeah, him. yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. Moyes, Moyes was guilty, if anything, of trying to not do that to an extent. 
then you shouldn't have signed him. But that's I, another I agree, debate. I agree, I agree. Anyway, okay, that's, yeah. that's that's one news item. Yeah. Uh, the next news item was um, it was Micah Richards uh, having a bit of a confrontation with fans uh, at the I think it was the Wickham game. They, they drew in the FA Cup. It's going to go to a replay. Uh, it was you know again. I'm not saying that one-off fixture alone is is not a terrible result because the FA Cup is is tough like that. Um, it's more. Should Richards be talking to them? Should players expect a certain degree of flack? We're not encouraging violence or swearing or whatever, but you know, sh- should players really have to kind of expect some form of, of flack considering the high money they're being paid and the benefits they get now? Tough one. Um, I would say people in general shouldn't expect abuse, first of all. The, the but to that is the fact that nowadays fans are paying so much and coming back to what we were talking about last week, there's an expectation of higher quality, maybe unreasonably. But because of that, if they see players not trying, or even if they're trying but playing quite poorly, they're like, we paid a lot of money for this. Why do we get that? If you pay you know, 50 quid for a theatre performance and the actors are doing badly and not trying, you're going to get booze. So maybe they, maybe they deserve it. I don't know. I think it depends case by case. I think the... Um... I think that, that regardless of what fans are paying, although it is a relevant factor, the money that players are being paid, not their fault, but accepting that big salary and paycheck comes with a certain pressure, mm. a certain expectation that they have to accept if they want to accept those zeros. Um, and, and, of course, not the violent stuff or any of that. No, obviously, we're not. That's, that's not even a question. But I think that fans totally... I can understand where fans are coming from when they don't see the effort. Yes. See, I mean, as a Palace fan, we, we generally have got a pretty good reputation for not getting on our players' back, but we fall in love with rubbish players who try hard. Um, no disrespect, but Peter Ramage just gone to Coventry <laughs> on a free. Absolutely love the guy. Um, it's just, I think fans want to see effort the most, or at least some fans. I mean, some top-level clubs, that's not enough. They'll still boo, etc. But I, I certainly think, based on some of the Villa performances I've seen, that those players are deserving of that flack from an effort point of view on the pitch. Yeah, I, and also I think it would make a hell, hell of a lot of difference if... I mean, they've got six points, haven't they? It's really bad. But they get all these wages. Let's say they've performed really under par. Could they not refund some fans? What the fan, the players decide yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that would help a lot. I have, on a rare occasion, I've seen players um, chip in to repay players, uh, sorry, to repay fans, like travel expenses on the official club coach, yeah, stuff like that. something, something. I mean, it's, it's, it's no, very little skin off their nose and it would mean the world to the fans, just something. I, I think what would mean the world to the fans more is actually putting the effort in on the field. Even if they're not a bit lazy in training. We used to have Jamie Pollock, who was, well... Well overweight, let's just put it out there. Um, but at least when he was on the field, he, he was giving it all and he got away with a lot maybe off the field as a result. Yeah, but I've, I've got to say though, with the effort thing, it can be misleading. Like, for example, you might say this defence midfielder isn't running around a lot, but the manager's instructions may be, you patrol that zone, that's it. So there, there is that potential with manager instructions that are interfering and players may look lazy when they're just following instructions. Maybe, but don't pull out a challenges and... Yeah, yeah, going back. yeah, and certainly with Villa, yeah. 
I remember there was a time when Julian Gray, very good player for Palace actually, uh, he he wanted to leave, it didn't happen, so he was forced to stay and I remember him coming on the pitch, pulling out of everything, everything to the extent where he obviously didn't want to get injured, obviously sort of fair enough, but the commitment wasn't there. Uh, he did eventually win back the fans because he wanted that move and he, he played well, but... It, it, no one wants to see that. Okay, let's move on anyway. Um, so some of the big news abroad, and we don't really talk about abroad directly, uh, although we talked about Zidane, etc., uh, is um, Benitez uh, gone from Real Madrid. Uh, people were saying if he's gone as well, that means there's no future for Bale, who just got a hat-trick, by the way, uh, this weekend. Uh, and Zinedine Zidane, uh, analysed from his playing career last year, uh, last uh, pod, uh, has come in as caretaker coach. I don't really know on what length, term basis, etc. Um, well, what do you think of that then? I think I think he was always going to get that job. But I'd almost go as far to say Benitez might have been a bit of a patsy, kind of just there to so Zidane's trained to get the job because Benitez shouldn't have got the job on his record. And I think I think that's it. That being said, does Zidane deserve the job? I, I would definitely say no. Um, I can't stand this idea of because you were a big name player, therefore you get a big head start. Works for Guardiola. Well, this is I'm going to get onto that, but the idea that you get a big head start uh, as a manager because therefore you must be a good manager. There's there's much, many more examples of that philosophy not working uh, than there is of it working. Don't get me wrong. There's a few exceptions. You know, we say Guardiola, uh, the most recent one, but I think of even people. Like Alan Shearer, uh, Bobby Robson, um, sorry, Brian Robson, uh, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that even Tony Adams' first job was Wickham or Portsmouth, but that, that's not bad, the Wickham one. But um, even Paul Ince's acceleration went too quick considering the job's done. Well, interesting, this is a subject for another debate, but Paul Ince actually thought that his skin colour was a factor in him not having the same opportunities as Roy Keane. Well, actually, Roy Keane's a good example there of getting a job too too far ahead. Um, I think I, he's found everywhere. He has, but his first job was Sunderland. Mm. Uh, was it Ipswich? Sunderland no, was his first one. First, Ipswich Sunderland. was his first. First year, very good at Sunderland. Thereafter, nosedive forever. But I mean, we will talk about the skin colour thing in a different podcast and the Rooney Rule, etc. Yeah. Um, but um, <clears throat> yeah, my point is 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 managing the youth team especially at a club like Real Madrid who rarely bring through youth apart from that Norwegian Odegaard guy who doesn't really count as proper youth because yeah. he wasn't trained there properly um, you know that's not really going to happen at uh, Real Madrid because of the type of club that it is and how much they demand clearly instant results instant smashings uh, as we can see Benitez really was going to have to do ridiculous unhuman things to get the fans on his side. Um, what? How does managing the youth team qualify you to go in and manage the first team, whether it works or not? My point is is, is they, sh- they shouldn't get that. They should have to prove themselves properly at a proper first team. Well, I've got two points to make to that. Firstly, if you're in a company and you're managing like a sort of, you know, lower level management staff, then you do well in that. You get promoted to managing the sort of main main shop or maybe even the main organisation so maybe that, there's that management programme you could argue but my second point which I think is more key <coughs> is that you've, you've nailed it Madrid don't bring them through youth they don't do anything they just sign players maybe, even no, at youth yeah. level they largely sign them from abroad so what uh, has Zidane really done? But this is my point Zidane's a big name he'll attract players maybe that's the sole reason he's got the job Real Madrid attract players by themselves and why would Zidane attract a player like if I was a player I would think 
Zinedine Zidane. Zinedine Zidane, great player, fair enough, but I don't know that you're a good coach. How would I know you're a good coach from a few youth you're, things? I think you're almost giving too much intelligence to players. They're just going, oh, Zidane, it's a name, let's play with him. That would be amazing to be under his guidance. I, 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 really, I really think that would be more of a factor. Sadly, I think you're right. Um, but I think the ones when it's... I see what you mean about the progression thing in a company, but I do think that there is a difference when we're talking about the manager of a football club. It's a bit like, you know, it, there's one thing being a... A kind of mid manager. I feel like the gap between a co- even an assistant manager is like being a mid manager in a yeah. large international multi corporate multi corporate multinational corporation, and then being a CEO. I feel like that's the jump. Therefore, you need to be a CEO elsewhere and prove yourself. Definitely, and also like you know, in my philosophy in general, in life is that some people are just suited to roles. Some people is a great manager doesn't mean there'll be a great CEO but with well, the one I want to get onto is is it seems as though there's a chance that that gigs could do the same thing if Van Howe leaves and um, when when that actual coach who gets this jump because of their name as a player happens uh, I think it's even worse when effectively as an assistant manager at United surely gigs is part of the problem part of the issue at United plus he didn't exactly set the world on fire when he had his caretaker role Plus, I saw him in that documentary. He looked something uninterested. I saw the one. I saw the one with him owning Salford. Yeah, that's the one. And Gary and Phil came out. Particularly Phil, as much more in love with football, and totally devoid of personality, at least on camera. But I also saw that same thing from him in the recent David Beckham documentary about his seven games in seven continents, or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. I've nothing really to add to that. I think that's uh, that's right. But um, also bringing internally based on name, also stops other opportunities you know we mentioned Mark Hughes potentially um, as, as an option for United it's it just blocks progression well I, I, that's the thing as well about um, I, I kind of get the, 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 the argument that well they know the ethos the culture at the club etc but maybe United are so publicised that to some extent everyone knows the ethos at the club but also secondly as we say if they're not going to bring through youth does that really matter? And the ethos has been played around with a lot, though. Yeah, but I think you hit the nail on the head with that with that comment that he's been assistant manager under two regimes. He's been a part of it. Either he's too weak and therefore too often an opinion, therefore the managers will do what they want. Or he has an input, in which case he's partly responsible. Unless he's just very professional on the face and he is behind closed doors actually kicking up a bit of a fuss but, but, but I kind of respect that but, but that's kind of my point if he's kicking up a fuss and the manager still isn't doing anything about it and the players aren't responding shouldn't he leave but you don't do, you, you no, can no, understand well, why well, I wouldn't but that's my point like if he should either leave or if he stays then he should be having more of an impact because the players should be believing in him rather than Van Hal. I think expecting him to leave is a bit harsh well no that was your idea you uh, that reason, yeah. Well, no, I, I wouldn't say he would. I'd, I'd have to. I'd have to be inside information that we found out that he was kicking up a fuss behind. Okay, the next thing on the list, just for purposes of time here. Uh, well, there's a, let's get a few rubbish ones off the list first of all. Um, first of all, no such thing as rubbish in this podcast. Uh, well, there is in the sense that it was in the news, so we'll talk yeah. about it. it. Was a training ground incident between Oscar and uh, Diego Costa, um, which. It's, it's, not, it's not really news, is it? People no, have bust-ups at football. I just don't get, like... Surely Diego Costa would easily beat up Oscar. I'm quite surprised Oscar started on him. You know? Fair play, he showed a bit of fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, don't, I don't know what Costa's like off the field, but he's a nasty piece of work on the field anyway. Yes. Um, but no, I mean, non-story. Um, until you have a lot more evidence that there's real arguments behind the scenes at Chelsea, I know obviously there's been issues there in, in terms of aimed at Mourinho, but uh, yeah, it's a non-story until, until we hear more. Uh, Chelsea also announced as having the highest wage bill in the Premier League this week. Not a massive surprise really there, although we would have thought maybe Man City had topped that one. Yeah, but Man City have been, until this year, trying to stay within the realms of FFP and they've got rid of certain players, like they've only got two first-team strikers, if you don't include the youth player, um, in, in, in a Machio or something. So, whereas someone like Chelsea, they'll have a Falcao on big wages and then so on. So, I'm, yeah. I'm not overly surprised. Um, talking of Man City, I forgot to put on the list, but this week, uh, I think it was the African Footballer of the Year was announced and uh, Yaya Toure reacted badly that it wasn't him, which I find kind of funny because as talented as Yaya Toure is, he plays when he wants to. He's done not enough special in the last year at all. In fact, since his birthday cake incident, he's kicked his uh, toys out the pram. Um, he, he made out that he's upset because he uh, led his um, nation to glory at the African Cup of Nations, but I don't believe that the Zambian captain got it when that was the last competition either. To me, he just seems like a a bit of a nutter who wants a lot of love, even when he's not playing well, and only plays when he wants to, and he's a bit of a luxury and a bit lazy, and don't get me wrong on his day, is great, but for me, I'd potentially look at moving him on. Yeah, I'd argue, um, for every great goal he scores he unbalances a city side um, can't play in defensive midfield because he does what he wants play in attacking midfield they've already got De Bruyne and Silva and so on and after his first season when you play him in attacking midfield he's just too pedestrian a lot of the times he just doesn't seem that interested yeah because I, I think if he wanted to if he really put himself into it he'd do what he did in the first season I still he's got that much talent oh without a doubt yeah Okay, so a uh, bit of news there. There's a the last thing that we wanted to mention. I kind of wanted to mention this was uh, Mikel, Mikel at Chelsea, Mikel at Chelsea. We could almost do another podcast on he. He's kind of indicative of a lot of the bad things that we talk about in football. Plus um, a defensive midfielder pod that we're going to have in the future as well. Uh, but the point I really want to make this time is that Chelsea played Palace. Palace had a lot of injuries. Um, but Palace just played poorly, even taking into account the injuries. They were very poor. Um, we made Chelsea look good. We lost 3-0. And all I heard from so many people was how Mikel was so amazing in that match. I was at the match. Um, to me, he just didn't do that much. A few passes sideways. Got away with murder. Should have arguably been sent off or at least booked, which would have made some of his later tackles uh, impossible. So some shocking refereeing from that point of view. And even, at best, it was a 7.5 out of 10. One 7.5 out of 10 performance, or even if you think it was better than that, out of about eight years or whatever it is he's been at the club and all of a sudden it's like he just needs to do that once and he's almost propelled as if he's a better player than players at clubs that are slow, lower down who are doing things week in week out yeah I mean I just want to emphasize when we say about him being indicative of some of the bad things to talk about in football we don't mean him personally although he's yes. got a lot of speeding fines etc he well, doesn't seem the nicest guy yeah fine but that's it's real. But in terms of like the facts that Stefan now did one good game because he's a name oh yeah He's, he's brilliant. The fact that 
he's the kind of signing that will always play and block others because they paid money for him. The fact that he's very pedestrian, but the fact he plays on the name, there's there's other reasons. But yeah, I agree. I mean, even if he was play played as a combination between Di Stefano, Zidane, Cruyff, and Vieira, it's one game. Yeah, um, I would argue, to be honest, the way that Palace played that game. Um, Yes, Loftus Cheek or other one could have done just as good a job. Well, that's the thing. It's not as if he was playing Real Madrid in the Champions League final. He was playing, no offence, but on paper a mid-table side that has a few injuries. Mid-table's a bit harsh as, as no, things no, stood no, at the time. Paper, on paper. But no, I mean, on paper it was it was below a mid-table well, side because of the uh, second-string nature of some of them. Um, although some of them just underperformed even the better ones. But there's some players that people would look for to be bad... And someone they look for to be good. I, I don't think that if he was a player for Palace and defensive midfielder, he would have got anywhere near as much of a mention doing the same performance if we would have won, etc. Would he get in your team? I personally wouldn't. No chance. Um, I mean, Melee, when he was at his best, hands down, more bold and impacting. And yeah, all right, physically strong, but... At least he put himself about a bit where, where I feel like Mikel disappears a lot. And for a defensive midfielder, you may say, you know, oh yeah, you know, some midfielders aren't like that. But as a defensive midfielder, yeah, you, you do need to make sure you buzz around more. I think a lot of that, I mean, I mentioned it might be manager instructions the way Chelsea played, but my issue with him isn't the reasons you said. My issue with him is that he doesn't even do well. It's not as if he intercepts well. It's not as if he players don't get past him. It's not as if he has a wide range of passing. All the criteria for different types of defensive midfielders... He's not good enough. Well, physically, he could be one of those big, strong, physical ones, but he doesn't throw himself about. I know all the games change, but you can still get away with a certain amount. Yeah. Look at Mikel Jedinak. Well, uh, he, did, his... he did in the last game, to be fair, with those tackles. Who? Mikel. <laughs> Um, yeah. Maybe a few. Uh, okay, maybe because the ref was poor as well yeah. for that one. Anyway, uh, no, definitely enough about Mikel for now. Yes. Uh, so let's have a quick transfer update, seeing as we're in the January transfer window, which is notoriously bad value. Um, but it's been quiet. That's that's kind of the summary to some extent. It has been quiet. The biggest move, although a loan move for now, apparently there is an option to sign with quite a big fee involved. Um, is a Turbay, the Argentinian who moved to Roma, I believe it was, or was it Inter Milan and on loan at Roma? But I can't remember now. But for big money, we're talking like 20 odd million six months ago, and then he's now on loan at Bournemouth um, with, like I say, that option to sign. Um, hell of an ambitious signing there, don't you think? Yeah, which uh, again is kind of showing that these clubs can get good players, mainly because of the money of the Premiership and the prestige of playing in the Premiership. Let's not forget they've got a rich Russian owner, plus they've just had American investment. Well, there we go, money. Uh, I, I mean, money is just paying his current wages. It's still surprising. Uh, in, yeah, talking of Bournemouth, I, I lived there for a year. I went to watch them play. If they did increase that ground, then yes, they may get fair-weather fans in the Premier League coming along rather than the, their core hardcores, which isn't huge. Um, but I genuinely believe that with the likes of Southampton slightly fading, but Portsmouth being where they are, they could be considered a big club. They've got the foreign financial investment, a good young manager, and more importantly, and this is something that probably helps Southampton at times, because they're basically, particularly Bournemouth, are right near um, overrated, but very attractive in the summer, Sandbanks, uh, with its beautiful, big 
beautiful summer on but it's big houses with a lot of footballers and even dodgy Harry Redknapp down there etc um, so yeah I think that in a few in five years time if, if they build up the infrastructure and I remember there being quite a bit of space around that ground um, then actually we, we could be talking about Bournemouth as a you know a club that could be a 30,000 35,000 seat stadium and and doing well the key thing is they need to survive this year they survive that survive this year they can go forward Based on their first half of all the injuries and now these signings, I know generally teams pick up in the second half, but you'd expect them to survive now. Yeah, but I think it depends on others around them. Your Newcastle, your Sunderlands. Uh, maybe uh, it was a Newcastle fan who rang in that podcast I mentioned with Savage, who actually said they can see the progress that's being made apart from the centre forward position. So it, I'm sure they'll be trying to sign. I think they have decent options in centre forwards. They just need to be utilised in the right manner. I think it's a fair point. I think we mentioned this the other when we did the yeah. what people need uh, element. Uh, a small one here, which is going out of the Premier League, uh, which is I just want to give a mention because I think it deserves massive respect, is Joe Cole, who's turned his loan move at Coventry into a permanent move. He must there must be a wage drop there, um, even with you know maybe the club paying Villa paying part of it. Uh, maybe they'll be in the same league next year. Yeah. But the point is, is it's nice to see a player say. I want to go out and play. I don't want to just sit on a bench. I want to play, and I want to play at that club because one, it's near where I'm living at the moment. But two, I like the way that they're playing football. I like the way they're going about things. Uh, I don't think he's had a huge impact goals-wise or anything while he's been there. But still, it's, it's nice to see. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I think it's just refreshing that he just wants to play. You get some players uh, who go, "I just want to play at the top level. I'm going to retire. That's it." He wants to play football, and I think that's great. Um, and. Well, I mean, he's a player that we both used to like a lot in terms of his technical ability. Personally, we think that he was pushed out on the wing, wing in a Mourinho-type way and a bit marginalised, well, I know I do, but that's, again, maybe for another pod. But that's a good one to see. Uh, another good one that's come in that I would have liked Palace to do, not that we really need that position at all, but uh, it's, um, it's Gray from Birmingham, who looks a real prospect, looks a real talent, and he's gone to Leicester for, I think it's four and a half million, or so, which is, in modern-day football, uh, very very good uh, I don't know how if there's add-ons on top of that I don't think that there is because they usually announce the full package if it is uh, that seems like um, something that could keep Leicester going I know they've got good wing options already but he you know that that could be the sort of young signing that that really could maybe not immediately make an impact you never know but could be a good one for the future I think it's sensible around I mentioned that they could do a bit of creativity and I think maybe he could he could do that particularly as injuries um May, may happen over the period and it's good good for youngster actually getting recognition and going up this if we talk about the fee for a sec if it was 4.7 all in let's just compare that to when there was a bit less money in the premier league and palace sold Sahar for 10 rising to 15 to united had Sahar really done that much more i know he played for two minutes on a friendly for england but uh, to me, it doesn't seem like there was a world of difference. Maybe more appearances in the championship, but yeah, it's to me. I know Birmingham have, have certainly got a strange ownership situation going on. It's very turbulent, but it seems to me like there's really good value there from Leicester. Yeah, but I mean, this is a subject for another another debate. But is that quite harsh on Birmingham? The fact that what the fee? Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's great on Birmingham. I think yeah. it was probably. A, I think it was a clause in his contract when he signed. Oh, okay, but that's his latest okay, deal. Fine, that wasn't that in control for them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, um, the um, there's been a bit of Palace transfer 
rumours, but nothing major. Uh, Shelby being linked 30 million, some people have said. Crazy for a player on the bench at Swansea. Uh, anyway, uh, we don't really need that position. We still need that centre forward, and we'll wait and see what happens there. I'd like to see someone who offers something slightly different to what we've already got when all players are fit, but that's a, it's another topic. Goals is yeah. definitely needed, yeah? Yeah, it's something, like we said, didn't address in the summer. We need to get right if we want to push on this year. Okay. Uh, Another rumour is Benikafobi, 10 million to Bournemouth. Again, another striker. Do they really need that? They've got King, Murray, they've got um, Bossy's name to come back, but I don't think that's this season, the great young striker. Uh, yeah, Wilson, they've got Kermengunt as well. That yeah. would be good enough. Well, he, he was he was very good in, in yeah. for them last year. Uh, and yeah, now they've got these new guys. I know a Turbo can play a slightly different role. They've got other injuries coming back. That, that's shaping up to be a team, at least on paper. Uh, anyway, that's a uh, big money for a phobie, and I'm not sure I'm convinced. His goal record was pretty good, but I hear some Wolves fans saying that for the money being mentioned, uh, they're driving there themselves. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, okay, so um, before we get on to our main feature being the FA Cup, we just wanted to think about the window, but linked to some uh, the new managers that came into the Premier League. So we're thinking of the likes of Remy Gard and, and, and Allardyce, etc. And uh, we haven't really seen much of an impact in terms of results picking up. Um, some of them had a few, like Klopp had a few, then it's been inconsistent. Uh, Big Sam had a few, and then it's dipped, it's, it's definitely gone down. Um, Remy Gard hasn't really had an impact at all. Um, so, you know, is that surprising? It is, given the fan, the fanfare for certain managers, maybe Klopp even to a lesser extent guards. And actually, even Allardyce to an extent. These managers were meant to come in, and it's like, oh, they're going to really improve our team. Yet now they're not. The excuses are being made. Oh, they need their own players. They need transfer windows. I agree. You need to buy players. To You need to assess your squad and see, okay, what can we improve? What areas do we need working on? But the whole reason like these other guys were sat because they weren't doing well with the players they had. So, if these managers are going to go around and just buy players, well, what's, what's kind of the point? That's the thing. I would have expected more of an impact from all of them. So, I think the point you're making is that although they do need their own players, if they are good managers, they should still do better than the last guy with the same players. Exactly. That's, yeah, I think it's a fair point. Um, we'll see how they get on in the next few weeks. Okay. I'm going to stop there. The only one that probably has improved is the Swansea caretaker manager. Who's just got the gig till the end of the year, which seems a strange one. Well, at least he's shown he's improved his team, unlike the others. He's shut up shop. But whether that's the first step, let's see whether the next step continues in the same way. Fair enough, but then can't, can't the other managers do that? Isn't Allardyce meant to be an expert in shutting up shop? And he did for a bit, and they yeah. have slowed a little bit. But yeah, so I think, I think I mean... I'm, God's not really. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm being a bit harsh, and I think there has been some improvement, but I think for Liverpool and Villa, No. It's an interesting one with um, with Villa because it looked like they're appointing someone without Premier League experience, which is always dangerous. But then it looks like, OK, well, um, you're, you're planning for next season. You're almost planning to go down. Uh, however, I I just don't know if he has the experience. It's a very different league, the Championship, when they go down to, to see how well they do when they, if they, you know, to give them a chance to come back up. But this is kind of the point. They wouldn't have hired Guard if they thought they were going to get if they were planning for the championship at that time. They would have hired him on the expectation that he would have kept them up. 
That's a fair point. I can't really uh, argue with that because of the lack of experience is what you're saying. Yeah, they would have done it. Okay. Uh, right. Okay. Um, so let's talk FA Cup. It is FA Cup weekend. I'm a big fan of the FA Cup, actually. Uh, and this is a topic that's been uh, kind of recommended to us by one of our listeners. Thank you very much. Uh, and, well, the topic really is all around the FA Cup. But has it been devalued? What is the perception of it now compared to what it used to be? Uh, how is it playing out? Is that uh, is how it's playing out with the third round this weekend actually proving some of the kind of points, the accusations against it? And how could it be changed to be better? Uh, how could it be improved? Um, so, well, first of all, let's look at some of the uh, highlights from this weekend. Um, one of the things I want to point out is it seemed to me that there was quite a lot of inter-championship or inter-premier league or championship premier league, but mainly a lot of inter-premier league fixtures, uh, which I think could make it a bit more exciting because that should mean some of those get knocked out which should mean that they're going to be some of the lower league clubs getting through even though it seems Eastie are the only non-league clubs still surviving I think um yeah um I think I think it's almost catch-22 in a way because if you get championship clubs playing championship premiership playing premiership that's almost a bit boring you kind of see that when you watch those games anyway but by the same token then you've got more chance of lower clubs going through that's my point because I agree that when it comes out of the hat it's not that exciting um, when I mean there's a there's a low risk when Palace got Southampton I thought oh that's a tough game that's a boring game uh, but at least if we get beaten by then it, it won't be like a disgrace but yeah. uh, Palace fans maybe the old championship mentality of us we don't want a Southampton we want to go to like Dover away like we did last year that's what we what we want as exciting but I think that it's almost good for the likes of Dover financially but for the competition later on which can often and end up being all premiership affairs now and boring that by nature of the luck of the draw we could have more lower league clubs actually uh, in the further reaches the further stages yeah there is there is that but i don't know it, it depends because you're sort of weighing that against a potential future of like in the last say last four last eight having like lower clubs or maybe in rounds three or four having more lower clubs and more exciting games. It's a tough one. But will round three ever be that exciting in the Premier League, considering it is scheduled for this time in January, which is after the notorious amount of games at Christmas? Yeah, but then that plays into the fact that you don't want two Premiership clubs against each other, because then if you've got a lower league club in the third round against a Premiership club, they've got more chance to win as opposed in as opposed to say the quarter final. Palace and Southampton both put out strong teams, the strongest teams. You're the exceptions rather than the rule, I would say. Fair enough. Um, okay, well, let's talk about um, later on, after we mention a few results that have, have come in this uh, weekend, let's talk about the idea of, of would you structure the FA Cup so that it's actually almost forced to be in a particular format, either the big clubs getting some other big clubs knocked out early on or um, like, so like it's kind of happened by chance this year or in a different way. Would that be a way to kind of improve it? Because, I mean... Let's be honest, it has, to some extent, it's definitely lost its magic. It used to be huge, and now it's not. That's That's got to be the starting point, right? No. It will, it will make no difference. The FA Cup is not the problem. No, 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 no. Let's focus first on, has it been devalued? Yeah, but it has. But that's Why not. has it been devalued? Two reasons. One, Champions League. Second, money in football. There's money in the Premier League particularly. Money in the Premier League, I should be more specific. Yeah. No, seriously, we can, we can do what we like with the FA Cup. It does not matter. Also, here... It's, if the money in the Premier League has stopped the Premier League clubs taking it 
or did as seriously, um, is also the fact that they uh, championship clubs don't get the same money that they used to in comparison to selling one of their players to a Premier League club. Has that made it less appealing for the championship clubs as well? That is a very good point. Um, I don't have an answer to that, but that is a really good point. Because uh, Palace doing a cut run is not going to be the same when we're in the Championship as Palace selling Sahar when we did. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. But yeah, with the FA Cup, I mean, the, the problem is, because there's so much money in the Premiership and it's crucial to stay up, You teams will just have no risk. And they'll even risk, they'll go like, OK, and I think, I think Bilic was saying this and, and other managers, is that they'll rest a few players because they've got a fixture two two days' time. That is, I've got to say, it's strange, though, that we have had the Christmas period, the FA Cup, but then we've got a full fixture list, or, or quite a few teams at least, are playing in the Premier League on Tuesday night. Yeah, but that happened pre, when, when, when the FA Cup was taken seriously. You know, it's, it's an excuse. But it's an excuse because the Premier League means so much. So that's why clubs are prioritising it so much above that. Do you think also maybe part of, this is a bit out there, part of the fact that it's lost a bit of uh, magic is because there are so many uh, foreign owners of clubs who are therefore not seeing the magic of the FA Cup and putting the pressure on the league on their managers because they don't quite get the history uh, behind it. Do you think that's played a part at all? It's a factor, but low in compared to the other two um, factors that I've said, I think. But it's kind of linked to the, the money one. Because they're looking at, look, I'm the owner of this club. Why are you, why are you playing these players for this cheap cup when uh, the Premier League's what it's about? Because they don't get the history. Yeah, fine, but I think regardless, it's all about staying in the Premiership now. Really, really crucial. And because you look at a team like Wigan, they won the FA Cup. And look at them now. That's the thing. It's, it's Portsmouth. Too. Portsmouth, exactly. It's it's too critical now. Whereas in the past, I'm not saying people wanted to get relegated. I'm not saying people even looked forward to it. But it was less crucial. Clubs would not be ruined because of it. That's a fair point. Um, I think in the past, people, if you ask fans, um, would you take winning the FA Cup and being relegated? They would be like, well, yeah, it's only a drop of a few million in income. We might not lose many players. Um, bouncing up was still not easy, but... Um, you know, it, it didn't really matter if it took you two or three years to bounce up. Whereas financially, you could be ruined and lose all of your stars uh, if you go down. Exactly, but I think I think Champions League is quite responsible for this as well, because I remember the days where it was one, maybe two clubs got into the Champions League. So UEFA Cup was taken seriously, and the Cup Winners Cup. I always go back to the example, but Chelsea. I remember when Chelsea won the Cup Winners Cup. They were they were so happy. They took it seriously. It was a great thing. Now. You get teams fielding weakened sides in UEFA Cups. You get teams fielding weakened sides. Europa. Europa, sorry. And cup winners don't exist. It's all about the Champions League. So because of that, clubs are putting, you know, it's even teams like a Spurs or an Everton. They want to finish, they'll risk everything to finish fourth because the Champions League is the only thing that matters. Before, it was a lot more balanced. So part of it is the money in some of the different structures that have happened. Yes. So you can't really blame the club. If I was a Spurs fan, then I, I wouldn't be bothered about the Europa League until that you get to the semi-final. To people used to be. That's the thing. How do, I guess the question is, how do we bring back first the FA Cup magic? We can't. We, we can't. That's, the, that's what I'm saying. Well, it, could it, you not restructure, try and get involvement of organisations, associations to restructure the money a little bit to make it a bit more appealing that way? That that's potentially a start, but I don't see how that would that would that would solve things. I really don't. Well, it would if if it did work, because if we're saying that money's the big factor, if you put more prize money into the FA Cup, uh, somehow agree the Premier League to do that, then then surely that would help solve the problem. 
would it? Because the, the, the same fears about relegation in Champions League will still exist. But if the financial impact of each of those isn't as much because you get a lot more money in the bank for winning the FA Cup, that could work. It's kind of like giving the FA Cup to a Champions League, making it a Champions League place. It's kind of like doing that. It, it's a symptom. It, it addresses a symptom rather than the cause. So, well, that's one of the options I was going to say. Um, one of the other options is always thrown about is what about if you qualify for the Champions League, um, the full spot, if England even retain that full spot, um, to the FA Cup winners? Let's, Again, how seriously, it achieves, it, that, achieve, that achieves nothing. It addresses a symptom. It might encourage clubs to do a bit more, but the ultimate symptoms are the two, two reasons. I said it's the Champions League having too much domination and there's too much money in the Premiership where it's too crucial. You need to address those factors and then from there, everything else will fill up. The reason I don't like the Champions League one is the, one of the things that I think is wrong with the FA Cup is that it... If Premier League clubs, big ones, take it seriously, then the gap, even though the FA Cup causes shocks, but the gap between the Premier League and the rest of the leagues is now greater, even though sometimes it's overplayed, but it is greater, that we don't see as many shocks, we don't see as many big te- small teams sorry, uh, getting all the way. So if, if you gave a Champions League place for the, um, uh, for the winners, then yeah... Maybe some premiership clubs would take it a bit more seriously, but for me, the magic of the cup is actually seeing smaller teams push on further through. So maybe I should, I should be saying it's good that the FA Cup's not taking us seriously because it's given the lower league teams a chance. However, I don't really see enough of a pattern in the last few years yeah. of smaller clubs making it far enough so that. Yeah, I feel like the gap is, is widening, that Premier League clubs aren't taking it so seriously, but they're still getting further than the clubs lower down. Well, I mean, there's two things to that. Firstly, talking about Magic of the Cup, there's not going to be Magic because of what I've said. It, it's, it's all about Premier League and Champions League now. So all the other cups I've talked about are devalued. Plus, I think what you're going to say next okay. is that Premier League clubs have padded out their squads exactly. um, because of the financial gap. Yeah. So therefore, it's going to be harder to beat them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you read my mind there, so, you know. We need two people in the podcast now. That's a really good yeah. point. I mean, <laughs> yeah. as much as I hate to say it, one of the last teams I can remember getting really far who were out of the Premier League was Millwall getting to the final. They didn't actually play a Premier League team, I don't think, to at least sure. the semi. Yeah, I, uh, I, th- I think it was like the final, I think. I could be wrong. I think was it was it? until yeah. the final. They didn't yeah. play a Premier League club. And maybe the semi in Sunderland or something. Um, but they may be in Championship at the time. Mm. Um, but is that the way forward then? Should we seed clubs so that we give the smaller clubs more of a chance to get there or do we actually seed clubs so that they get their payoff soon because I mean I read that it could mean a million pound for Exeter to get this replay for Liverpool do they just want the short-term money now do you remember the days where I'm going to answer your question in a sec but do you remember the days when a club would get to the final and it was on it was on ITV or BBC all day nine till five yeah. big thing about FA yeah. Cups, and, and clubs released songs it meant something then now, and there was less channels for other people to watch they had to watch it exactly so so there we go but, but that's the thing it, mean, it means nothing now well not nothing it means something but not to the same degree that's it. We, we genuinely can do nothing about it because it's a symptom of larger football. Uh, is the problem money? What I mean by no, that the, is... The, the, the problem is how football is now. We, we cannot change it. It's developed into what it is now. The, the, yeah, the FA Cup is just a symptom of that. But you're saying that it's not important because the Champions League's important. And the Champions League can stay in the Premiership. Yes. Yeah, but those two are not are important because of the money. 
they are, but I think it's also been ingrained in people's heads about the prestige as well. I just, I, I think it's money because the point I'm going to make is that even the lower league clubs, I think as much as they enjoy their cup runs, I think actually they'd almost take getting to the third round but getting a big payoff with a, a draw and a replay at Old Trafford um, than getting to the fifth round but playing maybe Bolton and other championship yeah, okay. clubs. And that's that's got to be surely largely due to financial things. But that's my point. Football has changed. And actually, dare I say, life has changed. And I think football is, is, is a consequence of that. But that's the thing. I just don't see it. I just think that's how it is nowadays. <clears throat> but I don't like this. That's just how it is. That's just accepting things. I like... agree. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying otherwise. But changing the FA Cup isn't going to change that. We need to address the actual problems in football and like that like the whole sort of dominance of the Champions League, like the fact that the Premiership has too money, like the fact that it's image over rep, you know, image over skill, that kind of thing. Well, hang on, doesn't the Premier League get marketed as being the most competitive league where anyone can beat anyone? If that was the case, then it shouldn't matter that the big clubs are so powerful because it should basically mean that anyone can beat anyone in the FA Cup. Yeah, does it work that way, though? No, because my point would be is that Yes, the Premier League is unpredictable and competitive. But apart from this season, as an exception, the top five clubs are pretty much always in the top five positions. It's, so it's, in the old days, I don't think you would have... I think you would have fancied your chances more playing a top five club, even as a second league club, than you do now. Yeah, I mean, Manchester United used to win leagues and they lost six or seven games. They'd lose 5-0 to Southampton, 6-3 to Newcastle. No, the other way around. 5-0 to Newcastle, 6-3 to Southampton. That happens because although United had the best team, that was in the days when squads weren't filled, filled out. So if Cannonov wasn't playing, someone like McClare would play. You'd go, all right, I fancy that. You know, it's Brian McClare. He's probably a mid-table player. Now it's just the bulking up squads, as you said. But maybe it will go back to being more magical this year because people were saying that the money into the middle Premier League clubs is, is making it a little bit more even kill, hence Leicester Palace is doing well. Have to wait and see, I guess. Yeah, I guess so, we'll have to see. But as I say, my, my opinion is, it is football is what it is now. If we're going to try and change it, addressing the FA Cup isn't going to be a factor. We have to address other things and as a consequence, the FA Cup will become better. It's interesting because I think there definitely is a perception that it's just a bit of an annoying break from the league. I think even I, to some extent, think of it as that, as someone who does like the uh, FA Cup and does see it as a real opportunity for Palace, particularly this year, without any kind of league pressure on us to really go for it, which I know Pardew wants to do. Perception's been changed. I mean, I know I sort of made the point, sort of tongue-in-cheek about clubs not releasing songs anymore, but that's kind of part of it, isn't it? It's the media perception. It's now uninteresting. People took it seriously back then. They don't now, and yeah, that's sad. But there's so few trophies that people can win that it is sad. No one cares about trophies. They really just care about Champions League and staying in the league. That's they're, They're the two things. Well, that's why I think it's very refreshing to hear... Uh, Parish, the Palace owner, and Pardew genuinely, not just token lip service, passionately talk about how they want to win a cup. They talked about how the League Cup, practically speaking, less magic, works well because it ends in February and in it, therefore it's less likely to impact your league form, so it's a consideration. But they back that up with a strong team down at Southampton. Okay, yeah, fine, but, but let, me, let me say this, is that Villas Boas was one of the few managers, as I recall, to actually try and take the Europa League very seriously. 
Spurs fans didn't like him because of that. And he ended up being sacked when they were like fifth or sixth because of some bad results. That's the thing, even though he was doing reasonably well, I, I think in Europa League at the very least was trying to take it seriously. And he was getting slated for it. I think, to be fair, he was being slated for a very boring style of football. I think that was more of a key. Yeah, but I mean, that didn't help. But that's the thing. Fans aren't interested in cups anymore. They're interested in in trying to do as well as they can in the league. And managers have to also be self-preservation. Well, it's interesting here because um, although I think that the FA Cup has has been devalued for everyone, uh, I hear Palace fans, not just this year where we're more comfortable, but even last year when at this stage we weren't comfortable, talking about a real opportunity in the Cup for middle and lower Premier League clubs. You know, we've had the Wiggins get them and the Portsmouths in recent years. I see Palace fans, even when we were in less, more trouble last year, uh, you know, earlier on, talking about how it really is a chance to win something. And last year there were a few upsets and it did leave it a bit open and we were very disappointed with the, the draw and the loss that we got so that we didn't get a chance. Same with Man City in, in this cup. I, I'm quite refreshed by hearing managers and chairmen at my club talking passionately like they used to about it in the old days. Maybe because... Again, I said other owners don't understand the history, whereas our owner, he lived it with the Palace run in 1990. And that's a good point. And, yeah, very, very good point. But and the then, manager who was part of it himself. But then, may, but then maybe that's, that's a sea change. Maybe there's the facts that people are starting to say enough with in terms of like just staying up, just having money, that kind of stuff. Maybe there is that change starting, and that's good. I'd like, I hope so. I mean, I look at the league and... Although it's more open this year, I, I genuinely don't believe that. I don't believe really that anyone apart from Tottenham can probably finish in the top four in terms of break it, uh, and you know they kind of should do. Um, therefore, for the rest of the teams, I would argue maybe because the Europa League has been devalued in the day of the week that it's played. But I, I would, almost, as much as I'd love to see Palace in Europe, I'd put it on an even kill with winning the FA Cup or the League Cup, to be honest. So if you are in that middle echelon of clubs who have improved, the likes of Stoke, Palace, West Ham, Swansea until you know the last yeah. few times, then you should look at it as really all that you can do if you don't think you can break the top. All right, but then let me ask you this then. Champions League does four places for the Champions League doesn't exist. There's only one or two. I guarantee, if that's the case, West Ham and Stoke, for example, are taking it more seriously, the FA Cup more seriously. But because they've, there's that chance for that fourth spot, they're putting everything into the league. I still don't think there really is that chance. If I'm honest, I'd like to to be otherwise. But um, well, how about this is a radical idea, which was suggested by the uh, the listener who, who, who talked about how the FA Cup would be a good topic. Um, how about it was actually removed from the calendar season altogether and played almost as, over a, a few weeks at the end of a season after a kind of more compact season, like a kind of almost Euro kind of competition like the, that we've got in France next year. How, would that work? Not a chance. The player, fitness? For fitness and also managers complain when they have to release these players to World Cups and stuff like that. Well, especially Youth World Cups. Exactly. And they've got, and they've got <laughs> tours that they have to do and stuff like that. that. No chance. The managers... I mean, it's, I actually think it's a great idea in, in theory, but I just think managers will just... And players also won't take it seriously. They'll, they'll, they'll want a break. So they'll, they'll pull be, out their injuries. Exactly. No, it's... it's eh, no. <laughs> it's a shame, though, because it would be like... Ooh, if, if it was done not every year, it may be bigger... And if it was done 
in those gaps in the summers when there isn't a Euro or World Cup, then would it work or would it clash with African Cups and so on? It would clash, but also players need a break. Yeah, but if you if you didn't have it during the season, that would be a few more weekends in the season that they could play they could play the league football, which means that you get a few weeks back there as well. I think if it's going to work, it should be when you, when you said it was. Not at the end of the season, but at the beginning. Yeah, I, I think. But then I think it would just be a glorified pre-season. It would be a bit like a community shield almost. Probably, yeah. But That's not really... We know that's not particularly valued either. Um, it's a tough question to try and bring it back. I'll put it that way. Mm. Um, but um, certainly but interesting. Say, I, think it, I think it's the wrong question. I, I think I, I really do. I think it's... Uh, address the other issues and the FA Cup will be better so seeding wouldn't work like we mentioned before no. I mean you've got to change people's <coughs> mentalities and perceptions of it and that's going to be a long long time it's, it almost borders this now the FA Cup point onto almost another topic about young players but you know I like young players being given a chance but I don't feel like when they're given a chance in the FA Cup that will then apart from maybe some good managers on youth like Pochettino um I don't feel like actually that then leads to a league chance because basically I'm, I'm talking about Liverpool. Liverpool fielded an extremely weak team against Exeter away. I think that's more dangerous away than it is at home, which surprised me because I don't see them catching up the full spot. So really this is, again, all they can really achieve, achieve is um, it's an FA Cup run. I know they're still in the, the League Cup, but you would have thought that this was one of the big things that they can achieve. And it was such a weak team that... I want to praise him for playing youngsters, but I don't feel like he'd give those youngsters a chance in the first team, even if they did well. We'll have to see, but I agree it's unlikely. This is it's almost like a Van Hal youngster thing. Yeah. Oh, we'll play him, and it's like, yeah. Should should Liverpool be fined? Like some clubs have been fined for fielding weaker teams. I think more in leagues than cups. In, 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 I, I don't think there's precedent for it in the cups. But if they got fined, I think pretty much everyone would. <laughs> Yeah, it's a strange one, the whole finding, etc. and so on. But, you know, is it a bit of a letdown for the Exeter fans who have turned up expecting to see the first Liverpool team? Well, they saw Benteke play. Yeah, but that's... <laughs> I'd feel slightly disappointed as a as an Exeter fan. But on the other hand, if you're a true Exeter fan, you think, brilliant, we can beat Liverpool and we don't care about the weekend yeah, stuff. And, and also, and also, right, it's not really the Liverpool's manager's responsibility for that. Maybe he's got to no. pick. <laughs> true. It's, it's, it's a fair point. Um, although... Um, Pardew talked about four and a half, five thousand Palace fans going down to Southampton, so he wasn't going to let them down by uh, not taking it seriously. So you know, man- maybe some managers think about that, or I think really he'd already thought about he wanted to take it seriously, and that was a nice little PR line. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, okay, um, so that was our main topic. Um, and uh, that was our third podcast. To be honest, I'd lo- I'd love it if uh, listeners could uh, message us underneath. Yeah, message us underneath uh, the um, podcast about any other ideas about the FA Cup. Uh, but I did actually. Yeah, we have got one more topic of, of sorts, which uh, uh, we really want to talk about. It's an important one because it goes back to statistics, and statistics is something that we've spoken about before i spoke about how a crystal palace fan friend of mine brought up a statistic about connor wickham and how i thought stats were interesting were helpful uh they help contextualize things they help us not slate ozil at arsenal as much as maybe we'd like to um but they're not necessarily helpful in isolation um so 
the stats that we're referring to today are courtesy of Football 365 and it's actually not trying to be negative but it's, it's considered you know it's, it's top negative stats and it was released on the 7th of uh, January 2016 so uh, we'll, we'll talk about a few of them now so the first uh, kind of heading of negative stats and this is Premier League is um, the most dribbled past the most dribbled past mm. players in the Premier League uh, this season and top of the list uh, is James MacArthur at Crystal Palace then Fernandinho at Manchester City Cesc Fabregas Mark Noble Aaron Ramsey and Jason Punchin so these are players that have been dribbled past the most in the Premier League so if you read this you'd basically say that the top two James MacArthur and Fernandinho particularly whose job it is to not be dribbled past because they're being played as defensive midfielders uh, are failing their job what do you think of that Dan? I think it's important to look at the percentage because the highest percent is actually um, Fabregas on 50. But yeah, Mac- MacArthur 45 is a lot. I mean, Fernandinho has been dribbled past the most, but it's only 36%. It's probably reasonably okay for defensive midfielders. But yeah, I do find it interesting. I really do. I mean, I'd like to point out that James MacArthur's had a good season at Crystal Palace. And uh, although I wouldn't have said he's necessarily a natural defensive midfielder, I would have called him a, a midfielder, central, rather than attacking. Um, he's really hustled, worked hard, closed people down. doesn't feel like he gets taken the ball past a lot. Yeah, I mean... That's a fact. No, no, fair enough. And uh, But then maybe that's not his job to do that. Like, he would let a player get past him because that's not his strength. But then he's there to distribute the ball, to position himself, that kind of thing. But no, he is. He is the only defensive midfielder. I mean, Kabai actually does get stuck in a bit. Yeah. But he, he's the responsibility that lands on him. Mila Jedinak's not played much at all this season. Well, that is quite damning. So, <laughs> I personally think that it's slightly indicative of the fact that you can't make tackles like you used to, maybe. Mm. Although I said you can make some earlier. Um, it's something worth thinking about because it's not suddenly making me think, though, James MacArthur hasn't had a good season because I've got my own eyes. There isn't really a bandwagon around him by Palace fans or otherwise. You can't watch everything and you can't remember everything, so that's why it's quite good to have stats. You can't, but if you look at that, Two Palace players in there, although one an attacking midfielder who generally hasn't had a good season. Um, but two Palace midfielders, you'd think, well, that must mean if they've been dribbled past a lot, that therefore they're going to concede a lot of goals. But we've got one of the best defensive records in the league. So again, a stat in isolation. Yeah, definitely. And just because they're dribbled past doesn't doesn't mean anything. I mean, does it give more credit to our defence though? Yeah, possibly. Possibly it does because it means that. You may well have dribbled around the midfield, but then you can't penetrate the defence, whether it's good tackles or they're blocking passes. But we don't actually know the context behind them. I mean, punching, you can imagine it's because the full-backs have got past him, but James MacArthur could be that he's gone... No, punching's playing through the centre a lot. Not always, but mostly. Well, if I'm the opposition manager, I know where I'm telling my uh, players to run through. That's Straight true. down the middle <laughs> of your side. That's <laughs> Well, but you'd think our wingers, the, the way that they are, although... Sahars work better defensively. That that would also be quite a high number, you'd think as well. Maybe it is. We don't we don't see everything, and they've they've listed it in terms of numbers rather than percentage, which are the, I'm not I'm a bit dubious for of. I mean, it just kind of proves really that you have to not just take a number. You then have to think about the context. What type of team do they play in against? What type of player are they? And oh well, you know that would suggest that they're not a good player. Well, 
do the fans think that they've had a good season? Is the defensive record behind them still good? You know, really, I suppose in a way, it doesn't show a great deal by itself, but it's still interesting to have and have in mind and have a look out for. Okay, what's the uh, second set there? Uh, Most fouls. The Miller top. You would not have expected the Miller. He's often accused of being lazy defensively in a luxury. I mean, to be honest, the other four I'd expect defensive midfielders, but the Miller, that's quite surprising. So it's the Miller Kapue. I can't say his name. Uh, Guy uh, yeah. at Villa, Lucas. Uh, Lucas Liverpool, and Drinkwater at Leicester. Drinkwater, though, he's been bombing forward. I didn't know he was an out and out defensive mid. Well, he's box to box, same as um, Kante. But yeah, Luke, Lucas is quite not surprising, but Lucas missed a few games, didn't he, at the beginning? So uh, he's probably played less games than the rest of them. And maybe Lamella doesn't get stuck in defensively, but he's just a bit more of a pusher, and that's yeah. why he gets fouled. Who knows? Then, then, I have to ask a Spurs fan. Then, I, I found the offside one interesting because Gomez on 31 is okay, miles. Well, let's run through the list quickly. So caught offside the most. Gomez at Swansea, hugely ahead. Um, then um, Anatovic, Costa, Defoe and Mane. Um, Gomez, I mean, out of those... He well, there's a few there, but he is a proper centre forward off the bat person, or sometimes holding up back to goal. So yeah. that makes a bit of sense. The fact is, so far though, it is not good because he would he would have been offside that many times would have very much restricted a lot of Swansea attacks. It would be okay if he played off the man so much and he'd scored loads of goals this year. Yeah, but still too high for me. I mean, if it was like, I mean, the highest next highest is seventeen. He has thirty-one. If it was like twenty, I might have said fine, but he's thirty-one. But if it, I think Michael Owen was probably would have been high on this because of the type of player that he was, Michael Owen off the last man, last you know, always looking for that run. There's going to be a lot of marginal calls. Maybe, but we don't know that. No, and out of it surprises me a little bit because I always felt like Stoke didn't have an out-and-out centre-forward apart from Juff, who I really like, mm. but he hasn't played as much. And therefore, they build up through the midfield and he wouldn't have therefore got into as many um, offside positions because it felt like he, he comes into the box quite late. Yeah, I agree. I've got nothing really more Strange to say one. about yeah. Costa, uh, Defoe, I, I would have expected Defoe because he does play Owen-esque off the last man. True, but he, he, has he played up front that many times? Because I'm sure when he was even playing under Advocate, wasn't he more on the wing? No, I thought he was. He can only really do it up front. No, Ma- I agree, but I think I think when he they they do shift into the wing sometimes. Mane, I thought gets the ball and runs at people, so not you know not looking to be passed to from others. Well, we're going to talk. Right. We're going to talk about Mane and on the ball in a minute, actually, in one of the stats. But um, yeah, okay. I'd agree. Yeah. All right. The next category is most shots without a goal. Uh, I think it's league only, and not surprising for me as a Palace <laughs> fan. Jason Punchins at the top with thirty-two. Then it's Kapua, a defensive midfielder at Watford. Why on do you so many shots? Well, Kapua, yeah, maybe like... it's indicative of how forward they get, how positive and attacking they are. I guess so. Yeah. I know he's had a big impact there. He's actually looked a completely different player than at Spurs. Charlie Adam doesn't really surprise me. He's one of those that you know, shoots lows. The percentages are low, and when they go in, they're, they're probably really good. But sometimes you need a player who's not scared to shoot. Because so many times at Palace, we watch players who, who are so not, scared not, to not shoot. Punching. Not punching. Not <laughs> punching or Balassi. Balassi tends to shoot a lot. And again, the percentages are low. But it can actually... You know, being that slightly greedy player like a punch and like a Blassi who shoots uh, can actually be justified on the basis that it gets the fans up, it changes the mentality of the team and even if it means your percentages are lower, it can it can have a real positive impact from a mentality in a point of view. Yeah, I think so. I think sometimes players are afraid to shoot. But let's not be... Mm. I mean, let's, let's just get it right. Both punching and Blassi shoot 
a bit excessively. The percentages are low, and with punching in particular, um, yeah, he's not had a good season. Although he did well, better in the, the cup. next one, Hazard isn't a surprise. The one, the one I find surprising afterwards is Santi Cazorla because Arsenal won a team that shoots too much. And when would he even get the opportunity to shoot? Yeah, he played with all the players they've got there with the Ozils etc. You think he's more the link man, and they do overpass sideways. So yeah. that surprised yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, what do they classify as a shot? These are all things we'd have to look into. Yeah, a bit that's how I take it in isolation. Yeah. Okay. Most unsuccessful dribbles. Top is Wilfred Sahar, which but doesn't the surprise percentage me. Percentage isn't top though, because it's fifty-two percent that he's done the most. Okay, but, so yeah. he's constantly trying to dribble number-wise. Uh, then Jordan Ayew at Villa, uh, Martial at Man United, Suzoko and Mares at City. So quite high for Mares for a player who's who's but, had a great season. Again, I'm going to put this content. Mares has forty percent unsuccessful dribbles. The others have either fifties or, in Jordan Ayew's case, sixty-seven percent. But can you see how if we wanted to use these stats negatively against Mares, we could go, oh, yeah. it's still a high-ish percentage. Mares, therefore, isn't good enough for a top club. Or we could ignore the percentage altogether and say 44 times. Yeah, but regardless, we could use it in a yeah. way and say he's not good enough. But we all know that this season, that is worth noting, but he has definitely been good enough. And I'd be interested to see where 40% actually lies if you were doing it order of percentage, where it lies in terms of um, other players. And maybe managers' instructions are to take risks. But it's interesting, Martial, you would have thought, because of the way United have played, that he wouldn't have even tried that many dribbles. Well, he's the only one that does. It's a fair point, yeah. Um, Sahar, very good at Southampton yesterday, but I'm not his biggest fan. As much as Palace fans love him, for for other reasons, being a local boy, etc. I'm not surprised by the unsuccessful dribble rate there. I, I, I do feel like a... You know, I like wingers trying to take people on, but I just feel like uh, there's not much input up there anyway. Well, I want to say about Ayu, though, that two out of three times he gets tackled, oh, that's bad. At least he's trying to take people on, not many do at Villa. Fair point. Uh, okay, so my next one's most lo- uh, basically losing possess- uh, possession from a poor touch. That seems a pretty subjective way to... to, to, it, to it, it, it does, it does. But by far out on top, hugely, is Mane at Southampton. I think, I mean, I know stats should be used in isolation, but this guy's been linked to Manchester United for £30 million. I think that puts that into question, particularly in the way Van Hal wants to play first-touch football. But at United, he won't just be given the ball constantly to have a high number. I get the impression that at Southampton, give the ball to Mane, let him make something happen, so it's going to be high. It runs right through him. Fair enough, but... And it's, it's numbers, not percentage. No, no, fair, fair enough, but still, that is very high. And I'm thinking with <laughs> other players pinging balls to him... I don't know. I for for me, if if I'm if I'm looking to sign him, that that I would, that'd make me have second thoughts. I'm not saying I just accept it at face value, but I'd certainly go. That's interesting. I want to look into that in more detail. That's a fair point, and it's interesting though that he's the only forward, but not out and out striker on the list. The rest are all centre forwards. You know, more strikers, centre forwards rather than right forward or attacking mid. Exactly, and it's as fact it's so far as. But well. I would have thought there would have been more attacking midfielders on there, wingers. I wouldn't say so. They're meant to be good technique. I've always said strikers don't necessarily have to have the best technique. That kind of strengthens what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. Okay, I mean, with Rondon being quite high, I think that's a bit of I'm, a harsh I'm, one. It's I'm lumped forward to him. I'm fairly surprised with Giroud because I mean you 
rating more yeah, than I did. Arsenal. But you know, one one of the strengths <laughs> I felt with him was his technical ability. I'm quite surprised at that. Maybe they take risks again. See, these are all maybes behind the numbers, but yeah, exactly. stats can be helpful. Yeah, you've got to analyse a bit more <coughs> to get to an actual answer. It's lazy to just jump to an answer <sighs> without watching the the players. A lot, and we watch the Premier League a hell of a lot, and even we can't come to the answers because no. they do require some real time spent on each one. Okay, most losses uh, of possession from being tackled, and uh, at the top in numbers is uh, Lukaku at Everton with 56. Again, you could read this, and if he hadn't had such a good season, you could be like, oh, yeah, he's not good enough. Um, or, oh, he's not quite good enough for a top club. That's why it was justified that Mourinho sold him. But we know that's rubbish. He's having a fantastic season. So how do you argue? How do you explain this one? I explain it because I, I, I'm a fan of his, but I don't think he's the best footballer in the world. But strikers don't have to be. He's excellent at what he does. Job done. It, it's that simple. I explain it because this isn't from a bad touch and I thought he might have been on that list for bad touch because he's touched some sometimes yeah, let him yeah, down. Yeah, but I argue this one is because, again, he's, so, he's been so positive this year mm. that he turns and runs at people and that's going to lead to being tackled at times. Mm. Um, but, again, it's nice to see players not just lay it off and take the safe touch. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, goals are judged, uh, strikers are judged by goals and it's relevant to look at these stats too for how you want to play yes. if you are going to sign him. Um, but... You know, I think he offers so much, even with his weaknesses. I mean, you are right. The Cuckoo is a prime example where that would be used against us in, like, he's not good enough for the top level. Does that explain... That's It could be, but I would argue he hasn't really ever been given the proper chance. No, I, I don't think no, he did I'm not saying otherwise, at Chelsea but, yeah, a long enough yeah, chance. No, um, Harry Kane, number two, again, a player who, apart from a slightly dodgy patch at one point at the beginning of the season, has had a great season. Is it explained for similar reasons? He's so positive, he does just run at people. He, he, we love the fact that he has no fear. I hope he never loses that. Um, is, is that why his tackle rate is, is quite high, being tackled? Yeah, and again, though, these don't actually have percentages either. True. These are just numbers. No, I'm going to go back to an interesting one. Okay. Uh, Depay is next, and I'm not surprised at that in the slightest. Depay has been quite poor. Yeah, he has. But it often takes a year for a young player to come good. But, you know, we, we de- we're certainly going to want to see him start next season well, especially if United have got a more positive manager. There'll be no excuses. Here's a question. Has Depay been given <coughs> about the same opportunity Janazai had? I know Janazai's been there for a couple of years, but because they've paid money for Depay... They're giving him more chances. And I, I would argue Janazai's shown in his time possibly a bit more. He, he has shown more, but then is it almost natural because of the money invested that you have to give it a bit more of a chance? But therein lies why Torres kept playing for Chelsea and they got rid of Sturridge, for example. This this is one of the problems in football, but we can talk about it's that another true. time. Maybe you should just go off of talent and, 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 and what they've done alone without well, trying I think to... It's, I think it's just balance, but... It's, but this is kind of the thing. You pay money, particularly you pay a lot of money on players, then you're going to give them more of a chance ahead of youth players, even though the youth players are doing just as well. Okay. Um, but again, that's a discussion for It is time. for another pod, but it's a good one. Okay. Next two categories, last two. Um, so the penultimate one is most inaccurate short passes. Uh, and there are percentages on this one. But interestingly, there we've got Troy Deeney, who people have credited, even when he wasn't scoring, for being such a great provider of such good passes to his uh, Icarlo, his, his centre-forward uh, partner. So does that read anything bad into Troy Deeney? Um... No, not necessarily. I, I, I would, I would say. Shows he's trying to play proper ball through attacking. Well, passes. not necessarily because it's a short pass. If you need but to, you can have a short through ball. 
True, but we need to define what short means. I mean that that's a very loose definition. But I'd, I'd say I'd say no, not really. What about Pella? Pella's up there, high. Similar, um, particularly with passes, it's like <coughs> you can do a short pass. The player doesn't miscontrols it. It's not. I don't know. It's a difficult one. And De Bruyne and Matt Ritchie are both there as well. And low again, percentages though, low percentages. But still higher than other players. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. Right? No, it's, no, they've they've done it in order of number. Uh, okay. So that's what I'm well, saying. Well, we know so. that those two players have had very good seasons with yeah. De Bruyne away from home, less so. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, but, yeah. Okay, and last but not least, most inaccurate crosses. Um, and at the top, and it is percentages and numbers here, not highest percentage but highest number, is Mark Albrighton, who's a player with a good cross who a lot of people have said should have been given a chance for England earlier in the season. I think with that one, because they all seem to be relatively close in number and percentage, it's very difficult to say. Plus, your crosses are only as good as your striker in the box. But yes, yeah, so how do they define the accuracy aspect? It's funny because we've got Albrighton, Brady, Ritchie, and Tadic, and three out of those four players at least, Tadic being the one left out, are ones that I would definitely say have all had good seasons. And Tadic has been on the bench more, but you know he, he looks like he's come on and done okay as well. Um, but I know for sure that the the first three players have all played well for their clubs. So it's interesting that they're there. Yeah, but maybe that's almost consequence. They they've been proactive. They've been playing well, and you know that's take more risks take more chances but maybe here we'd say right well that this shows that Albrighton is a worse crosser than Sahar or Balassi because they're higher up on the list but I know that one Sahar and Balassi don't cross as much as they should although Balassi's got better at that and two I know that as much as I like those players they're not good crossers of the ball it's still a weakness it's particularly with Balassi it's got better but it's still it's still not there and, and Albrighton's a good crosser I'd be interested to see what an actual good cross percentage is because so many crosses don't end up going to the player for various reasons. Bad crosses, players intercepting. I mean, take Leicester, for example. If you're crossing into a lone striker that's Vardy, he's not really going to win many in the year, so it's going to look bad. Well, he's not a midget, but yeah, he'll win less than maybe uh, Kane. Exactly. <laughs> but when I say stuff like... I just know that he's a better crosser than Zahara Balassi. Am I almost talking against the ethos of the pod? Because we almost criticising pundits for just saying, but I just know big reputation players are better. I mean, Albrighton's not a big reputation okay. player, but... Um, we have to regulate ourselves. Yeah, we have to, to be critical to, thinking. To an extent. I mean, the reason I, I wouldn't branch you in there is because you've actually seen the Palace players play. And I've thought, is that what's making my decision? Yeah. I mean, the, the only thing I'd say, unless you've seen O'Brien play... Then, then, Not enough. Yeah, then, 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 then you haven't com- completely been that way. But you're certainly, you know, 60-70%, which is more than 60-70% more than the pundits. <coughs> okay. Uh, I think that's a nice place to end it in kind of the point of why we're doing the podcast is to use stats, but think critically, even question ourselves and feel free to get into a healthy, intelligent dialogue with us on the SoundCloud page underneath the track and uh, let us know if there's any topics that you'd like us to add to our list of things that we want to talk about moving forward. Uh, our next pod is unlikely to be next week. It's probably within the next two, three weeks. Yep, um, this was an FA Cup special and thanks very much for listening. Thanks for your time. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, uh, see you in the future. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you, bye.